Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 945 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. We are talking about all the elements of the gospel. Okay, one of the things that Wildwood and particularly in Wildwood College Life, we want to make sure that college students know is that they are equipped with the gospel to navigate life and culture. So that's the first thing we've gone through this semester. So we've talked about who is God, sin, repentance and belief, grace and mercy. And this morning we're talking about Jesus as Lord. And since many of you do not know who I am or what I'm about, and you're like, who is this stranger that's been teaching my kids? Uh, I want to make sure to introduce myself. And one thing that you guys have to know about me is I love college students. And the reason I love college students is because God really transformed my life as a college student. It was a time where I experienced extreme uh, spiritual growth. And another thing is I don't just love college students, I love OU students, okay? Because I went to OU, OU is in my DNA, okay? I got that hashtag OU DNA, all right? That's me. And some things that you have to know is I can't not root for OU, right? If they're on, it doesn't matter who they're playing, I'm rooting for OU. I'm cheering Boomer and Sooner as obnoxiously loud as I possibly can, okay? And another thing about me, I have two brothers, they're both Texas fans. Can everyone say ew? Ew, right? Boo, horns down. That's right. Call penalty me on me, okay? I can't root for Texas, no matter what. It doesn't matter if they're playing Alabama. It doesn't matter who they're playing. I am rooting against Texas. And that's just who I am, right? That is who I am. And maybe some of you guys can relate. I can look around. I can see the tear-stained faces in the room after... The tough L last night, it was a rough night, but we're here this morning. God is still on his throne. Doesn't matter if we win or lose, he's still king, right? Uh, but that is just who I am, all right? And another thing that you have to know about me is that I am a sinner, okay? Not only do I have that OU DNA, but I have that sin DNA, okay? I mess up. I disobey God. And some of you guys in this room, maybe you could relate to how I, how I am as a Sooner fan, but hopefully all of us in this room can relate that we all have the same problem and is that we cannot obey God on our own. In our own flesh, we are unable to root, uh, to, to be able to obey God. We willingly, knowingly choose to do wrong. And just like I can't help but root against Texas, we can't help but sin. And that's the problem I want to address today is that we cannot, cannot obey God on our own. In our flesh, we are unable to do uh, what God has commanded us to do. And this is something that's revealed in scriptures, that the law reveals our sin. But I hope after looking at the Bible today that God's word shows us that salvation, a changed heart, leads to obedience. And because God has saved us by his grace, we should love God by obeying him. And we'll see that salvation leads to obedience through two core truths this morning. The first is that the grace of God motivates our obedience and calling. And the second is that the grace of God helps us withstand 
life's storm. So today we're going to be in Romans 1, and the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul as a defense of the righteousness of God. And as you go through the book of Romans, you see this argument laid out of our need for righteousness, right? We have all sinned, fall short of the glory of God, that, that Christ credits his righteousness to those who trust in him for the forgiveness of sin. And then we see righteousness lived out, Okay, and so Paul, in his beginning, he's kind of creating the theme of what his book uh, or his letter to the Romans is all about, and it's the righteousness of God. And Romans 1.5 is going to be our theme verse for today. And let's read it together. Romans 1.5 says, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So in this passage, we see that the Apostle Paul is explaining essentially the effectual relationship between faith and obedience. How are the two connected? And a misnomer in today's world is that faith plus obedience equals salvation. But we see by Paul's language that that is not the case. That is, faith equals salvation and faith that leads to obedience. And that's really the idea that we're going to be talking about this morning is that the grace of God motivates our obedience and calling. That's my first point this morning, is that the grace of God motivates our obedience and calling. Notice that Paul says, through him we received. What did we receive? Grace and apostleship. What is this? Well, first, this grace is a gift from God. And Ephesians 2 says, it is a gift so that no man can boast. So if grace is a gift, what is this gift from? What, what, what are we receiving? Well, what Paul's talking about is salvation from sin. Anyone who trusts in Christ through faith receives grace, and this grace is being saved from sin. And this is so, no, so that no one can boast, right? It's a gift. The grace that he's referring here is the salvation from sin. All have sinned and earned judgment from God, but if they trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, they will be saved. It's a free gift from God. And that's what Mike talked about last week. Students, if you were here last week, Mike talked about grace and mercy, right? How God freely gives anyone who believes in his son in the person and work of Christ that they would be saved from the sins uh, that they've committed. See, Christ bore the punishment that we deserved. He paid the penalty that we earn. That is the grace that Paul's talking about, is that God has saved us from something. He has saved us from our sin, that through him is talking about Jesus. It's not through us, it's not through our works, but it is through Christ alone in which we've received this grace. But there's also an additional thing that we see here. It says apostleship. Let's go back to Romans 1.5 real quick. It says we've been through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So there's a couple things I wanna point out in the second part. This thing that we've received apostleship is this idea of being commissioned to be basically Christ's agents, his people who are commissioned with the task of telling other people about the truth of Jesus Christ, okay? So not only have we received a gift, but we've also received a calling. The moment that we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, he changes our heart. And not only do we, are we saved from the penalty power and presence of sin in the future, but we are also saved to a purpose. 
We are saved to a purpose. So we're saved from something and we're saved to something. So essentially, it's not this idea that, thank God that he has saved me from my sin. Now I can live whatever life that I want. But it's, thank God he has saved me from, his, from my sin so that now I can live the rest of my days bringing him glory and honor. There is a purpose in the Christian life. That is a part of the gospel. Just as much as belief and faith and trust in Christ has saved us from our sin, we are also saved to a purpose. There is something significant in the Christian life that he has called every single one in this room who is trusting Christ for a purpose. Let me repeat that. Your life matters. God has a plan for your life. And it is to call other people to, 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 the, to the repentance, to following Jesus, to obey, obey God and follow his commands. So there's our calling and our obedience, right? And that comes from faith. But what is this repentance and how do we do it? I think oftentimes when we're in church or when we're reading scripture, sometimes we're gonna be like, oh, there's another Jesus word. There's another Jesus word and we don't really know what they're talking about. We just kind of lump it all together. But what is this repentance that we're talking about this morning? Well, the Re Westminster Shorter Catechism refers to repentance as this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace or a gift where a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. There's not only a turning away that comes from being grieved and hating one's sin, but there is also a turning to obedience. So it's not turning from one sin to another, but it's turning away from sin to new obedience. And this is a grace or a gift of God to be able to do this because it is contrary to our nature. Our nature is one that is full of rebellion, full of transgressing against God's law. But another grace that we are given, if we are, if we are following Jesus, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this spirit allows us to obey God. We are given a new life in Jesus Christ. And this Holy Spirit, this gift of indwelling the spirit, allows us to live a holy life. It's not anything of our own doing, but Christ within us. And this spirit, he allows us to mortify or to kill the sin in our life. And that's really our response to sin. It's not that we just don't deal with it or hope that it goes away, but it's this active killing of our sin. And that's what Paul even describes in Romans 8, 13, that it's only by the spirit that we can do this. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's been said you are either killing sin or sin is killing you. It is not this passive approach of just going along your life and saying, hey, I made this one decision that one time in my life, but it's this daily decision of abiding in Christ and killing sin, being absolutely disgusted with the sin in your life that you can't help but turn away from it because of what Christ has done for you. When Jesus becomes the Lord of one's life, what he says goes. And he has called the believer to live in practice what he is in position, which is righteous. 
He's called the believer to live and practice what he is in position, which is righteous. In other words, we can show the world that we identify with Christ by obeying his commands. Now, imagine repentance like this, okay? Repentance kind of looks like this. Realization of going the wrong way, which is conviction of sin. Turning around, which is repentance. And going the right way, which is obedience. Now, certain sins may feel a little bit different. I kind of want to compare it to different modes of transportation, okay? So let's first talk about walking. Some sin, you're walking in the wrong direction. When you realize, oh, this is a bad thing I'm doing, you can turn around and go the right way. Not much effort is done, not much, you know, pain or going a long way is done. The second is maybe you're biking, okay? So you're riding your bike, you're going the wrong way, you got to brake, you got to shuffle the bike around, and then you got to go the other way. Next thing's driving, okay? You're going down the wrong way, your GPS, you take a wrong turn, you're like, oh no. Well, then Siri's like, well, you gotta turn here, then here, then here to go back the right way. So a lot of energy, time, investment, going the right way, it's a lot more of a struggle. Some sins are like the Titanic, right? Where once you realize you're going the wrong way, you try to turn away, it takes a while. It's hard, it's difficult. Each one of those modes of transportation, it was the same process. It was the same process. Realization of going the wrong way, turning around, and going the right way. The process is the same for a man as it is the Titanic. But the time and distance required is much different based on the mode of travel. Benjamin Shaw, he's an Old Testament professor. He says this, some, some sins are small and easy. We stop and walk the other way. Some sins, like the bicycle, are a little bit more difficult. In God's work in the believer, he takes a little time to bring the believer to an awareness that his course is actually a sinful one. Then there's the process of coming to a stop, the process of the turn itself, and the process of getting up to speed and faithfulness. But some sins are enormous. Maybe you feel this in your life right now. We may not be aware that they are really sins, or they may be so deeply ingrained in us so deeply ingrained in us that we are not willing at first to recognize them as sins. But God works patiently with us, carefully slowing us down as the captain does with the ship so that he can bring us through the turn and into the new direction where he can bring us up to full speed. Do you feel that in your life? You might be in this room today and you might be like, that is my life right now. That is my life right now. And you might be thinking, Kevin, what should we do? What should our response be to this? Should we just live in our frustration and still keep on sinning? That we can't conquer this pet sin, this nagging sin in our life? How can we kill sin? I think the biggest thing we can do in response to realizing that faith and repentance are connected is by looking within and asking ourselves, what is our motivation for obedience? Ask yourself that. Why do I obey God? Is it because you love God? Or is it because it's what you're supposed to do? Is it because it gives you pride when you see other followers and how much better you are at obeying God than them? Or is it because we think that God will love us more if we obey? Maybe he'll bless us and give us more favor if we obey, like treating our obedience like a transaction. We have to look within and ask the Lord to change our hearts. 
We can't sit here and think that A, salvation is from our own work, or B, that obedience will earn us more of God's favor. Jesus said it best, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. We must make sure and ask the Lord to root out any reason that we obey for the wrong reasons. I have to make a confession to you guys. Growing up, uh, I had a pretty bad view of the Bible. And maybe some of you guys can relate to this idea. But when I looked at the Bible growing up, I thought it was just a rule book, a rule full of do this, don't do this, make sure not to do this. And I viewed it as just this collection of no's, right? Thou shall not, thou shall not, right? Like I just thought it was all the things that I shouldn't do. But once I trusted in Christ as my savior, something dramatic changed when I started reading my Bible. I didn't look at it as a rule book full of no's, but instead I saw it as one giant yes. A yes to the freedom that's only found in Christ and a yes to the best a yes to the best. In other words, God's best way for living or the most sustainable way of living is by obeying him, okay? The best way to live is by obeying God, okay? It's not that you're gonna receive all these blessings or this prosperity type thing, but God's best is for you to obey him. He loves us enough to tell us the best way to live. How great is that? We don't have to guess. And obedience isn't something that is meant to stifle fun things. It's not meant to do that, but it is the path to God's best. Sin might seem fun, but obeying God is the way in which we can know him intimately and ultimately find the most sustainable way to live. And it saves us ultimately from the consequences, the horrible consequences of sin. And earlier we talked about how in our flesh, we cannot obey God. And our goal was to see how salvation leads to obedience. And because God has saved us by his grace, we should love God by obeying him. The second text we're going to be looking at is the text that uh, we read at the beginning of this morning, which is Luke chapter 6. We'll be in verses 46 through 49. And in this passage, Luke is chronicling an exchange between uh, the disciples and Jesus. Okay, And Jesus is warning his disciples by dissecting the difference between profession of discipleship and true discipleship. So there's a difference between a profession of discipleship and true discipleship. True discipleship is obeying the will of God. True discipleship is actually doing God's will. And that's what Jesus is really getting into is the results of doing this. Okay, So verse 46 says, why do you call me Lord Lord, and do not do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The point of this passage is to communicate that God's ways are better than our ways. 
And my, point, my second point today is this, is that the grace of God helps us withstand life's storms. The grace of God helps us withstand life's storms. But how do you know if you're able to withstand life's storms? How do you know? I think it comes through answering Jesus' rhetorical question in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This question here is one of the most convicting in all of scripture for me. When I read this, I don't read it as if it's just a rhetorical question for the disciples there with Jesus. But I look at my life and say, how can I call Jesus my Lord and continue to not surrender aspects of my life to him? Saying, Jesus, you're my Lord from nine to five, but from six to midnight, that's my hours. How can I say, Jesus, you are my Lord over my marriage, over my family, but not my hobbies or how I spend my free time. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life in this, but not this, because I like this. I like having control over this. Lordship is revealed through obedience. If Jesus is Lord, that means he is sovereign. That means he is over. That, is me, that means he is in control. That means it is his but if there are things that you have yet to surrender to God, that we have yet to surrender to God, that is not making Jesus our Lord. True discipleship is one that is fully surrendered to God and is revealed through obedience. And there are probably areas in our life that we can look at immediately and say, I have not given this to God. But why does God care? Why does he want us to make Jesus our Lord? Why does he care about these things? Well, I think a reason is shown very specifically in this passage. Verse 47 through 49. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Following God saves us from many of the consequences of sin. Following God saves us from many of the consequences of, of sin. And obeying God, that's what I'm trying to communicate, is it's a sustainable way to live. If we're constantly sinning, we're going to face the consequences of that sin. And Jesus paints the picture for us. We don't have to question what it will look like, but how can we get there? I think the best way to look at it is looking at my dog, Goose. Uh, this is my doggo, Goose. He's a psycho. All right, look at those eyes. Those are crazy eyes, right? This is my dog, Goose, and my wife, Carly. Uh, I love this dog. I shouldn't love him as much as I do, but I love him. If you've met him, he is the craziest dog ever. He has never met a living organism that he does not love with his whole heart. And he will show you, okay? He'll lick your face, he'll jump all over you. He is maybe the most social dog I have ever met. And sometimes obedience is hard for him, but since he's been a puppy, he's about two years old now, he's gotten a little bit better. But how did he get there? How did he get to obeying us? Well, there had to be a track record where he could trust us. And this is my hope for you guys. College students, this is my hope for you, is that as you follow God the rest of your life, you will get more and more examples of the faithfulness of God. 
where you will be able to look back at your life and say, God is trustworthy. God is faithful. It was worth following God. And by following him, you'll see that his track record is unmatched. People will fail you. God will not. His way is always better than our way. And my dog, O'Goose, the reason he obeys me, yes, it's because he loves me. But he also sees that by obeying me, it will go better for him. Whenever he sits on our walks, when a car is coming, it is so that he doesn't get hit by a car, right? Obedience is something that is good for him. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And he knows that when he obeys us, things go better for him and he gets a treat. Okay, so why do we do all of this? What do we do with all of this? That's the question, right? Well, I think we should go back to Romans 1.5. Let's go back to Romans 1.5, read it with our eyes, read it with our hearts. Romans 1.5, what does he say? Through him we received grace. I'll let you get there, sorry. Romans 1.5. I hear the pages turning. Romans 1.5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. God has given every Christian a task, and it is to call all people to turn from their sinful life and receive the grace of God that comes only through faith. And sometimes we get overwhelmed with the feeling of we have to know every right answer. We have to know every answer to every question that's gonna come up whenever we share our faith. But what I love about the book of Acts, which is what we're going through in our midweek Bible studies, is that the people who were talking about Jesus were just witnessing and testifying to what they had experienced, right? They were just telling other people what they had seen. And so my encouragement for you guys is that you would merely testify to what God has done in your life, that you would tell others how changed your life is because of Jesus Christ. No one can refute what God has done in your life. No one can say that's not true, that didn't happen because it happened to you. You are a witness. All you need to do is testify to what he has done in your life. As someone who has made Jesus the Lord of your life, that is what I'm asking you to do today is to testify what a life looks like from following Jesus. So to bring this full circle, we've seen that salvation leads to obedience. And there's a reality we have all experienced in our sin is that we cannot obey God on our own. But through salvation and the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we know that because God has saved us by his grace, we love God by obeying him. This salvation leading to obedience was seen through two truths, that the grace of God motivates our obedience and calling, and the grace of God helps us withstand life storms. So what are you going to do with this today? I encourage you to remember that salvation was bought with a price. To remember that your salvation was not an easy transaction. But God in flesh, Jesus Christ, came down to this earth with one purpose. To die on the cross for you. I want you to remember that the most real moment in which God said your life mattered was the moment that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Nothing more in this life could tell you that your life matters than God in flesh dying on a cross for you. 
He took the wrath that you deserved. He took the penalty that you deserved. He paid that price so you don't have to. I want you to remember about whose you are and who you are so that you will live a holy life and tell others.